Have no fear of missing out. The show's about FOMO. Your host is Brian Franzo. I'll tell you what you don't know. And now, your host, iSocial Fans. Welcome back to another episode of FOMO Fans. My name is Brian Fanzo. As you heard in the intro from my good friend Vincenzo Landino, I am here to cure your fear of missing out. And today we are talking the keynote speaker life. I am a full-time professional keynote speaker. It is not something that I set out to be when I was a little kid. I did not say, Daddy, when I grow up, one day I want to get paid to talk on big stages and have people excited to hear me mouth off for hours at a time. No, that was not on my agenda. That was not something I, uh, I sought out to become. But I will say that it is my favorite place in the world. It is where I am the most zen. It is my favorite part of what I do for a living. I love creating this podcast. I love live video. I love working with clients to build strategy. But ultimately, stepping on that stage as a speaker um, and sharing and translating what I know, hopefully, to uh, giving the, the audience value and takeaways um, is something that it's my, it's, it truly is my calling. It's something that I am extremely passionate about. But how do you get there? How do you become a speaker? What are some of the things that I wish I did differently? Um, and then ultimately, what I think is broken and what I think is kind of ridiculous in the industry as a whole and how we fix it, uh, including um, getting more, uh, you know, diversity on stage as well as getting, um, you know, additional recognition, also changing kind of what success as a speaker or as an event looks like. And so I'm excited. Um, I'm, of course, broadcasting this live on Facebook Live, on Periscope, as well as on YouTube. And this podcast is sponsored by Nine Spokes. You'll see the logo here, uh, Nine Spokes. So if you go to ninespokes.fomofans.live, you can actually join for free and sign up for their smart AI dashboard. And their dashboard allows you, as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur, to pull all of the, the data that you need into one dashboard. It's a really cool tool. It allows you to bring in some of your marketing, some of your finance, some of your social media, and bring all of that data into an easy, consumable, um, deliverable uh, of a dashboard. And there's lots of apps that it's um, that it allows you to connect to. Uh, the tool originally rolled out in the UK and overseas, and now they're making a breakthrough here in the United States. And I couldn't be more excited that they came on board for a couple months um, as my sponsor of this show. And I couldn't be doing this show if it wasn't for the sponsor. So if you love the show, make sure you check it out. Uh, go sign up, hit the join for free button. It takes literally 30 seconds to join and another couple minutes to, to set up your um, apps. And then you're off and running into the uh, world of interactive and easy dashboard for you to consume your data. So let's get into episode 39. And this is you know, something that is a uh, important topic for me. I, I'm truly blessed. Um, you know, my mom always says that when I came out of the womb, I came out of the womb talking because I talk fast. I love to talk. I've always loved to talk. Um, if you ask my high school teachers and my college teachers, they'll probably say two things about me. Brian always came in happy, but we aren't sure if he ever really did the work in class. And man, he sure did love to talk. And I, uh, at some point, had my, my desk moved into the hallway. Almost every year in high school, one of my teachers would put my desk in the hallway because they figured out no matter who they sat me next to, I would find a reason and a why to talk to them. Therefore, the only way they could get me to stop talking and shut up uh, was to stick me in the hallway. And um, at the time, I thought it was ridiculous. Now, looking back, I have three daughters. My oldest daughter talks as fast as I do, as much as I do. And sometimes I truly think about putting her in the hallway. So I now can sympathize with my mom and my dad, as well as all of my amazing teachers out there who I will uh, say thank you, and I apologize for any pain my big mouth caused you as a, uh, as a mouthy talk. And I was never mouthy talking back. I just like to talk. And so for me, this is an interesting topic as a speaker because there's lots of um, you know, great uh, books out there. There's also lots of great uh, online courses right now about how to become a speaker. Um, there's some, you know, there seems to be a topic that is growing. But I also believe this industry is one of the oddest industries because 
there is no direct blueprint. You don't go to college and just get a communications degree and, and, and that makes you a, a keynote speaker. It also, um, you know, it doesn't really, there's no direct, um, there's only no direct path to success, but what success looks like, how to get booked as a speaker, how do you get your start, how do you move from speaking for free to speaking for paid, or if you don't care, if you're not trying to get paid for speaking, how do you go from speaking at your local meetup to a large event to the biggest event in your industry. And here's the thing, I don't have all those answers. So if you're looking for all of those answers, um, anybody who says they have all those answers, and I have some emails in my email box right now from some of these very spammy um, speaker know-it-alls, um, they're full of crap. No one knows all these answers. There isn't any quick fix, but I'm going to tell you what worked for me, what I wish I learned differently, um, what I've learned from other people, from friends and from people that have done it differently than I have. And my goal for this is just to share my journey, share a little bit of the, the ups and downs. And really, one of the things I want you guys to learn is if you can take what I've done and fit it to how you're doing your work, your life. And then also learn from my mistakes. Maybe you'll help push the industry forward one step. And then if we all push the industry forward one step, it'll be beneficial for all. And so, you know, what is a keynote speaker? What, you know, the, the idea of giving a keynote versus giving a presentation versus giving a, uh, you know, a team rally speech. You know, like, there's lots of people that argue about semantics, but if you've learned anything about me, semantic, people that argue about semantics are people that don't have enough information or context or value to add about a big picture. Therefore, they focus on small things like the word keynote versus presentation versus uh, delivery of a speech. And I don't care about that stuff. I want to talk more about how do you become or how do you kind of establish yourself as someone that is good on stage, that provides value to the audience, that, that has event professionals wanting you to be hired. And, you know, I've, I've had a weird journey into speaking, and I've actually, I've actually started my speaking career three different times because I was a speaker um, for the Department of Defense in cybersecurity, and then I was a speaker for a data center company as the face of that company in the data center industry. And then I decided to pivot on and go on my own in the social media, social business industry. And when I did so, nobody even wanted to put me on the side stage. So I've, I have three different experiences myself on how I kind of found success, and I think it's extremely important to remember there are people that get paid to speak on stage. There are people that have their brand or the company they work for sponsor an event, which then gets them a spot to speak on stage, and then there's also people that speak for different companies and brands, either as a consultant or as someone that is teaching things, that are getting brought in because of a client relationship or because of, of the work they've already done with that brand. And for each one of those, it is extremely different, right? And I, I see my good friend, uh, Carlos Gill, just jumped in here uh, in the live stream as well. You know, and Carlos and I talk about this a lot. Carlos is someone that works for a large enterprise software company that is also does speaking around the world. And his journey, how he provides value, the value that his brand and the events get out of bringing him to an event is different than me as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, where that's my main source of income. But it doesn't mean one way is right or one way is wrong. It just means that we have to understand each individual journey. And so when I was, uh, it was 2005, and I had um, one of the, the leads of the Department of Defense come to me and say, Brian, you're the only non-gray-haired person in cybersecurity that we believe could present to the Joint Chiefs of Staff and be someone that could be the face of this conversation. So we're going to send you to training and then we want you to present to generals and the highest ranking government officials every quarter on what's changed, how we need to change our products, and really just like the results and value of our business. And for me, this was like an awesome opportunity. I was like, hell yes, let's do it. Um, and I went to a five-day training course. A lot of that course was actually on PowerPoint. It was on not using your hands when you talk. It was uh, about being slowing down when you talk. It was about where to stand um, on stage. And remember, this was 2005, 2006 timeframe. So a lot has changed since then because let's face it, those little things 
If you master those little things, it doesn't mean that you are a great speaker. Those are little things that help you become a better speaker. But um, I remember leaving that training being like, wow, I, I can do this stuff. This is easy. And I got to brief the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, every quarter for four years. And I got to, you know, present in front of General Petraeus. I got to speak on cybersecurity, talk about change. I was the very first person um, to speak without wearing a tie at that location because it was a very, you had to wear a, ja a suit jacket and a tie. And I believed because I was one that was talking about change and the, the younger generations that I had to at least deliver some sort of change. And so for me, it was great. It was an amazing opportunity. I had lots of slides, lots of content. Um, the feedback was always amazing. Um, one thing I do regret was that I never really, I never really documented or realized how awesome that opportunity was. All that I realized was that, you know, that this was part of my job and I did this part really well. Um, so much so that when I left the government space, and I went to work in the data center company, and I went to, you know, as a technology evangelist, I didn't even really highlight that experience of being on stage presenting because as a manager and as someone that was part of my job was to relay the business value to the business decision makers, I just felt as though that was just an extenuating element of what I had to do for my job. And I'm going to tell you why I regret that in a, in a, in a little bit so you guys will understand that part of the, the piece. And I see, no, I did not wear a backwards hat when I was on stage at the Pentagon. I did not wear my ch crazy Chuck Taylor uh, colorful uh, Converse shoes. Uh, that came later on down the road. But um, when I started in the data center industry, so that was the first time was the DOD. The second time was, you know, I started in the data center company and I became the face of the company. I was the face of the brand. Um, when you went to the website, when you read content, um, my job was really as an evangelist to, to help connect the consumers, the actual users of our product and our partners, share the information that our product team was working on, our marketing team was working on, and really kind of bridge the gap between internal and external. And because of that, I, got the, I was afforded the opportunity to speak at some amazing technology events like Gartner, like um, AWS from Amazon, like VMworld. I got to um, open, uh, I got to present at one of the opening spots of VMworld uh, in 2013. And, and I believe Steve Wozniak and, uh, from Apple was one of the, the closing uh, presenters. And for me, it was an interesting world because I didn't have to go out and get any of those speaking gigs. My, my company either sponsored the event or we, one of our partners was sponsoring the event and they would come to us and say, hey, do you have anybody that can talk about data center transformation or the future of cloud computing? And if, if we had that, uh, you know, that, that was presented to us, we would show up at the event. We would have, you know, our, my, the slides that I would present would be, would be uh, reviewed by our communications team and our PR team. And I would go up there and deliver the content um, that we were supposed to, you know, that I was supposed to deliver. And, and that's even where my nickname uh, or the, the, the logo, the label that I've got, Talk Fast, Tweet Faster, actually came from a Gartner event that I was speaking at. But one of the interesting things was I loved what I was doing. I knew that it was, I, it was unique and I was very lucky to have that opportunity. But one of the things that I did not realize at the time was that I should have been documenting, I should have been recording video, I should have been getting testimonials, I should have really been documenting that entire experience because although the brands were getting me all of the gigs, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, I probably need to to, you know, kind of have something about this experience to be able to share in the future, which is a very interesting spot because when I left the data center space and I was focusing on the social media and the social business space and, and I, I went out there and I reached out to the different vendors and I reached out to different event uh, professionals and I said, you know, I've spoke at this event. I, I've been speaking since 2006. Um, you know, I, this is the topic I think I could speak at at your event. A majority of them said, who are you? What gives you the authority to speak about these topics? And you're, I don't even have room for you on a side stage. Maybe you should come to our event as a, as a uh, attendee and learn some stuff and then work your way up to becoming a speaker. Um, and I can tell you, it was a very humbling experience. It was a very um, you know, eye-opening experience for me because it, at first I was bitter. I will tell you the truth was, I was like, screw these guys. They don't know how good I am. They, they don't know what they're missing out of. And, and, and then I had to like put myself in check and remember, well, it's not their job 
to know why I'm going to provide value, to know my backstory, to know my background, that's my job. And it's my fault for not putting that out there, for not presenting that, for not having that portfolio, those testimonials lined up so that I could pivot and jump into that space. And I can tell you, I took a, it took about a year of building relationships, starting to tell my story in 2013 before I even started to establish myself in a new industry and a new space. And then starting in 2014 is when I started kind of taking things forward. But I want to talk about that that spot and that journey for those that are listening here because I think a lot of people are you know get to this arena or this spot where they say, Brian, I'm not a thought leader. I don't know everything, but people are asking me to speak. Or, Brian, I want to become a speaker, but I don't consider myself a thought leader. And, and here's my thoughts on that. And I hope you guys you know, take these notes down if you're driving. Don't take notes while you're driving. Just go back and listen to the podcast episode later on. But one of the things I want you to realize is that you, know, you don't have to be, you don't have to know everything because nobody knows everything. And people aren't hiring you to know everything because they know that's impossible. What they want to know is that the things that you are doing, are you able to convey that message and teach others based on what you've done and what you believe can be accomplished, right? It's an idea of saying you don't have to know everything, but you have to know what you did, why you did it, how you did it, and then how to relate that to your audience. Because I think this is a major misconception. Just because your company was, uh, you ran, you know, this, let's, let's say you worked for BuzzFeed and you're like, hey, I, I left BuzzFeed, I'm, work, I'm working on my own now, and I don't know why people don't hire me because, you know, I worked for BuzzFeed. Well, that's great. But what was your role at BuzzFeed? How did you help them provide value? And then ultimately, how can you convey what you did at BuzzFeed so that other people can learn from it, right? That, that's your job. And, and part of this, you know, it's an interesting world because if someone would have labeled me an inspirational speaker or a motivational speaker three years ago, I would have said, please don't do that. I'm, I, I'm not fluffy. I don't sell unicorns and rainbows. I'm not telling people rah, rah, rah. Well, kind of I am. <laughs> and I didn't realize at the time that there's different elements of inspiration. There's different elements of motivation. And there's different elements of what you can provide as a speaker. But also when you're, when you're looking, you're taking a step back, there's also this element of what are you doing as a speaker? What is your goal? Because if you're working for a company, if you're full-time salary, if you're getting salary paid for your company and your company says, we want you to go out and speak at events, okay, you as an individual have to realize, okay, how do I make sure that me speaking at the events provides value to my business that, that, is, that is paying me this full-time salary, right? And then the second part of this is, how do I provide value to the audience as well as the events organizers so that they hire me back again but also so that I'm not just a sales, marketing, talking head, nonsense person that is just shilling my brand on stage. Because we've all heard those people, right? As soon as that person gets up there and says, you know, I worked for uh, Blockbuster, and uh, we're going to talk about the Blockbuster journey, and really all they do is pitch you and sell you on the Blockbuster streaming service and why it's better than Netflix. You know, and and there's, a, there's an element of establishing thought leadership and association with the brand that's hiring you. But then there's also, how do I convey this in total message? And so there's something that I've learned in my journey that I think that I, this is something that I really want to push forward. If I, had, if I had to give one goal for every speaker and every event organizer as we move forward is I want us to think about the relationship between a speaker hired to come to an event, either hired, paid, paid for for the speaker's time, paid for the flights and hotel, whatever that journey is, I want it to be considered a partnership, not a one-off um, cons consultation or a one-off uh, freelance hire. And the reason I think there's a big difference between a partnership and there's someone that is hiring you as a speaker and it's a one-off thing is I remember sitting in a couple events as a attendee and I was super excited. And let's face it, a lot of people go to events only because there's two or three speakers that they really want to see that are, are, are on stage, right? And I remember going and seeing Simon Sinek the first time on stage. And I, I was a big Simon Sinek fan. I had read his books at the time. 
and I, I was so excited. I got the front row seat. I'm sitting there in Phoenix, Arizona. I get to watch him give his entire pre presentation, which was mind-blowingly awesome. Um, he went and stood off the side of stage, took some, some selfies with people. He went and sat behind the table for his book interviews. Uh, and then I went up and talked to the coordinator of the event because they were a friend of mine. And I was like, oh, you know, what else is Simon doing here at the event? And they're like, oh, no, he's on a flight in about 20 minutes. He's out of here. And I remember thinking to myself that if I ever became a paid speaker, if I ever became someone that was, was inspiring people to spend their hard-earned money and, and come to something, that I would not be the fly-in, fly-out person. I would not treat this as I'm only getting paid for what I do on stage. And I, I know that's different than a lot of people because a lot of people are saying, you know, I'm paid for that one hour I'm on stage. I'm not paid to do things before or after. And to each their own. But I believe... The reason that we, we listen to people, the reason we're inspired to pe by people is not only the knowledge they provide, not only the way that they deliver that knowledge, but also the relatability that we have with that person and the trust that we have with them as our customer and client. You know, do we want someone speaking at our event because they have a big name and they're, they're, they've spoken at all of these large events, but nobody in our audience trusts them or nobody in our audience understands what they're about or they don't even know what our audience is? I mean, I've, my, nothing worse to me than someone getting on stage and giving examples in their keynote that are not relatable to the audience or the industry that's in the audience. And that happens on a daily basis, right? And so I love you know, the speaker industry as a whole. I think it's such a unique um, you know, environment. And I've been very blessed to be part of a, a group of, of speakers that are really trying to push the envelope, but also sharing different things. And, and it's a, a Facebook group of different speakers across different industries uh, without question the most I've ever learned in any group on Facebook is this one um, speaking group that I'm a part of, and it has some of the most inspirational speakers I've ever been a part of, and I love the diversity of, of people. I love the diversity of approaches of what people bring to events, and, and, you know, and for me, this is kind of how do you establish credibility? How do you provide value on stage? And then there's one thing that I do with every event that I work with, and it's with every company, and I actually see a couple of the uh, event organizers that have hired me recently um, here watching on the live stream, and I've al I always ask a couple questions. I always say, okay, you want me to speak at your event. What does success look like for you? What is, how, what do you look at, what is, when you're looking at success of this event, is it, is it tickets sold? Is it how many people are talking about it online? Is it digital tickets sold? Is it, hey, this is the first event and we're trying to establish credibility and we want to make sure that we lead people to the second event? What, and I always ask that question because I want to be able to help make that event look good. You know, my dad told me very early on in my career, son, you want to know a way to always do good in your job and to, to get recognized and, and really give yourself some credibility and some insurances, do whatever you can to make your boss look good first. Do whatever you can to make your boss look good because if you are making your boss look good, then in turn, you become a valuable asset to them. And for me, as a speaker, if I am able to make the event organizer look good, if I am able to make the event sponsors look good, if I, as the speaker, am able to, as a whole, be a part of that event and their success is my success, then ultimately, not only is this going to work in both of our favors, but I believe that's the reason I get hired back to the same event multiple times. And so this is one of those things that as we look at the speaker journey, and I, I explained that you know it's, it's so different, right? Like how do you become a speaker? Some people have written books and become speakers. Some people were CEOs of companies. Some people were celebrities. Some people just decided early on that they were really good at uh, you know, delivering uh, different kinds of content and conversations and stories from stage to audiences that are out there. There's so many different ways to become a speaker, but I also look at things and say, there's also different ways to continue this journey, and there's different ways on how you provide that value and how you become part of that community. And for me, this is really where I look at, at, at things moving forward, and I wanna share some of the things that I learned that I wish I did differently so that you guys, the community, can learn from that. And, and one of them, you know, I talk a lot about screenshot awesomeness, which means document all of your wins along the way. Take a screenshot every time you get some good news. 
Well, I told you I presented, you know, in 2005 to 2009 uh, at the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I then, um, from 2013 to 2015 or so, I was presenting at all of these technology events. One of the things I did really badly was I didn't document what events I spoke at. I didn't document the feedback I got from my community. I didn't even take video of the of the speeches that I was giving. Now, granted, it was a little bit different times back then. Like we didn't have you know a a 10K or a, a 1080p video camera on our phones. Oh, I don't even know if we had cameras on our phones in 2005 and 2006. But for me, I, I missed out on an opportunity to document some of my success, document some of my wins, to add to that portfolio along my way. So that's one of the things I, I think I made a big mistake on. Another thing was really understanding what my goal was at each presentation that I give, right? Because, you know, early on, I, I definitely recommend to take any opportunity you possibly can to, to speak. And I used to look at it, and as I was growing as a speaker and becoming a paid speaker, one of the things that I evaluated as value was how much money I made, right? Okay, hey, this, this event's paying me $1,500. The next event's paying me $5,000, right? But here's the weird part. If you, were, if you truly provide a partnership with that brand and that event, the money isn't the factor. You want that, you're going to deliver the same quality on stage no matter what because I can't turn it off. It's not like I'm going to present a, a one-third as great keynote so the, to teach them a lesson for only paying me $1,500. That doesn't even exist. Like That's not even a, a, a possibility. But what I started to realize was when you start measuring the total value of an opportunity, the value goes way beyond dollars. The value could also be, and this is what happened for me, what other speakers are speaking at the event? The association with other speakers, which might help me raise my speaking profile. What access do I have to those other speakers? Maybe I'm going to get a, a half hour with Joey Coleman or an hour uh, sitting backstage with you know Marcus Sheridan or Simon Sinek or, you know, oh, maybe I'm going to be on the same stage as Steve Wozniak. Okay, that's, that's value that ultimately can help your, your business as a whole. There's other places for value as well okay, what if this company has multiple events in a year? Or maybe this event organizer is someone that is a freelancer that works for multiple events. And if I go there and do a free presentation and knock it out of the park, this event organizer is going to hire me for my full speaking fee at all of these future events, right? It's about projected value as well as value that you can bring out. And I can tell you for me, a lot of the events that I wanted to speak at, they weren't willing to pay me what I wanted to get paid. And one of my favorite negotiating tactics was simply, well, could I get an hour with your, your half hour with your VP? Or can I sit down with the CEO of your company and, and, and have him, you know, give him a, a Q&A and some access to them? And of course, they're like, wait a second, you're not negotiating for more money. You're negotiating for, for time with our, one of our executives? Sure, of course, like we can do that. That's not costing me anything out of my budget. But the funny part about that is, yes, I deliver a great uh, presentation on stage. Yes, the audience gives me great feedback. But I get exclusive time to provide expertise level insights to that executive who's the final decision maker, but I also get them to put a face to the name. I also allow them to better understand who I am. I also get time for them to understand, hey, Yes, you hired me for this presentation, but did you know you could sponsor my podcast? Did you know I also get paid to create content for your brand, right? And these are all things that, that ultimately, when I started looking back, is I missed a lot of opportunities. I should have been better at understanding all of the projected value of different opportunities, right? And so I, I really hope that you know, we can, when, we're, when you're looking at different things, because the only way that you're going to get noticed, the only way that I got noticed was because... I started getting on more stages and I started putting out more you know, content and videos that, of me on stage. But I also got testimonials from, from people in the audience. You know, one of my things that I love to do is that if someone comes up to me after an event and they say, Brian, man, you were a really good speaker. You're my favorite speakers. I'm like, here, would you mind, take my phone, hit the video button, and would you mind sharing that on video so that I can put it up on my webpage or I could make it part of my media kit, right? Because yes, there's, there's, there's this element of, you know, defining what you're great at, but you also have to tell your own story and, and so that people understand it. And, you know, one of the things that I pride myself on is that when people say, Brian, you're the same person offline as you are online, that, 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 that warms my heart. So I'm, it's my favorite thing I hear. 
But another thing as a speaker that I take pride in is a lot of events hire me for back-to-back events, which is not the, the tradition, right? The, the tradition used to be, you know, we hire you this year, we want to have some new blood next year, and then ultimately, hopefully, we'll hire you three years from now because we can kind of recycle things around. And for me, that's perfectly, there's, there's plenty of speakers that take that approach. There's plenty of speakers that, that treat it like, hey, um, you know, I'm getting paid for that one hour on stage, and the rest of the time I want to be spending with my family or with my business, and I don't, I'm not going to give them anything extra. But for me, I know that once someone hears me on stage, they're going to ask me that my favorite question, Brian, how do I get more access to your community, or what more can I hire you for to do for my company? And I love being able to provide enough value to be a part of the community enough so that people say, you know what, Brian, we're going to hire you again next year. We're not even sure what presentation that you give will be what we want you to, to, to give, but we know that our community trusts you. Our, our, our sponsors love you. And th- these are things that, that we really value and we want to hire you again. And to me, it's, it's an amazing feeling, but it's not, it's not the norm, right? It's not something that has been always been the way. And so I think it's just an interesting path to not only becoming a speaker but just kind of this whole thing because the hardest part about this this world is that there is no right answer there's no just one way to do it there's no um, hey I got this speaking gig because my next door neighbor happens to work for the company hey I got this speaking gig because the lady sitting next to me on the airplane happened to be the person that was was hiring the speakers for the event or hey this person happened to hire this speaking bureau and I must be associated with that speaking bureau there's all of these different things but one of the things that I you know, kind of pride myself on is how do I provide value above and beyond so that people not only realize what I did on stage was of value, but that this relationship has more to add as we go forward. And then I want to share a couple of things that I think are, are lesson learned as well, right? So this is, this is something, yeah, key takeaway from my next pitch. I agree. Uh, definitely, you know, projected value. And one of the things that I've been doing a lot on is I reverse engineer every paid speaking gig that I get. And let me explain what that means. So if someone emails me and says, and I got an email last week, right? They came back to me and said, hey, Brian, um, we got recommended for you to speak about millennials. We want to hire you to speak at our event um, that's coming up this November. And this is how much our budget is. And we really would love you to speak. And and we've heard great things about you. And so I went went there and we, we did our negotiation. And I asked them, like, well, who did you hear from? And how did you come... Um, you know, into to know who I was. And, and one of them said, well, we didn't really ever have heard of you, but one of the, the, the speakers that we hired recently said that we have to listen to your podcast. So we started listening to your podcast, and we, we realized that the content you provide and the way you provide the content is perfect for our audience. And I'm like, ooh, that, that's amazing. And so then when I go back and look at my podcast, I, I reverse engineer and say, no, I'm not getting paid for my podcast. Well, I'm getting paid by my sponsor right now, Nine Spokes. But when I look at the, the, the value of creating free content, all of a sudden, the value of that free podcast now can be linked to getting me a speaking gig at $10,000 or $15,000. Well, now all of a sudden you start realizing that all those things that you're doing along the way, the blogging for Forbes, the, you know, the Snapchat, Instagram stories, the sharing of your content, uh, the delivering of, of value, all of these things kind of add up along the way. And so I try to reverse engineer all of these to kind of understand the value of everything we do. And then last but not least, one of the things that's really difficult to wrap your head around in the speaking industry especially is that I don't believe anybody is a competitor of mine. I, I, I truly don't believe that, um, you know, there might be lots of people that are talking about digital change and lots of people that are talking about, you know, digital marketing and the millennial mindset and, and even live video, all of these things that I talk about on stage. But I, I firmly believe that people hire me for my stories, for my background, for my ability to convey that message on stage in an entertaining way, in a motivational way, in an inspirational way. And the weird part is that you'll have many speakers that will be jealous of other speakers. You'll have many people that will say, that event 
is, is ridiculous for not hiring me. Why do they hire that person? Or one of the things for me that I've always struggled with is I don't have a book. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of events that really only hire people that have books because they, wanna, they want to give something to the sponsors or give something to the CEO and say, hey, these are people we hired and here's the book that that person wrote, right? Something tangible. And I used to be like, man, I can't believe they used the, the book as a, a requirement. The funny thing about that is if that's a requirement and it's something that I'm not, I haven't created, that's on me. Like that's something that I have to realize that it's a limitation in my growth, right? And I'm going to be releasing my first book in the fall. And a lot of that is because I've realized that's going to open up more doors for me as a speaker. It's going to allow me to grow my brand, my authority. And ultimately, it's going to increase the amount of money people are willing to pay for me as a speaker. And so, you know, I want to wrap up this episode and kind of bring all of this together and saying that, you know, I love being a professional speaker. I love... Uh, it's it's amazing that I get paid to go on stage and talk about all of these things. And it's much more than just talking about it, right? There's a lot of great, um, you know, instructors out there. There's, you know, Grant, um, Grant Baldwin, he hosts a podcast um, called The Speaker Lab. And I was on that podcast recently. It's actually one of the FOMO fans episodes. I, I will put it in the show notes. And then um, Amy, uh, Amy and Michael Port have a, uh, a speaker uh, event that they put on to train speakers to, to really hone the craft of speaking, to understand how you should stand and how to use um, your, your pausing as a, um, as a value and how to, how to e uh, emphasize certain words and when you should walk forward versus walking backwards and how you should hold your hands versus not hold your hands. There's all of these people that are doing amazing things and I recommend if you really want to get into this arena, you truly, truly need to invest in understanding all of the things that go into being a great speaker. But here's the other part of that. Just because someone else did it a certain way, just because there's a certain path to success does not mean you can't craft your own path, but it does mean that to craft your own path, you have to be willing and okay to not get this gig. Or, you know, one of the things that was the hardest for me, when I was moving and my speaking fees from $4,000 to $10,000 per speaking fee, one of the hardest things for me was I, I negotiated down even though I started at 10, I negotiated down fairly easily. And then I realized the only way that this was going to happen was I had to be willing to say no, and I had to be willing to not negotiate. And the scary part of that is the only way you can make that happen is if you're going to be okay not speaking at that event this year. And to me, that was really hard because I wanted to speak there. I wanted to speak there so badly, but I also wanted to make sure that I was able to get provide you know food for my family and able to to get the value that I believed I was deserved. And so one of the hardest things for me over the last 12 months was being able to say, I'm sorry that you don't have the budget for me. I hope next year we're able to work out something a little bit earlier. And ultimately, um, you know, good luck at your event. And there was a lot of events that I said, you know, you have to pay me this amount or I can't do it. And they said, okay, I'm sorry, we can't make that happen. And although that hurt me a little bit, you know, am I, and I really wanted to speak there, by doing that, all of a sudden, the value and the conveyed value started to increase. But I also am working myself towards a goal, right? My goal has always been that I want to be a, a speaker that does the work it's myself, but also when I am speaking, I'm able to be a little bit more selective on where I speak, when I speak, what topics I speak about. And so I know for me personally, my goals are probably different than yours. If you work for a brand or you're a startup and you want to get your startup noticed, maybe it's, hey, speak as a, at as many as events as you possibly can so that you just get your name out there and word of mouth. Or maybe you know, strategically line yourself up to speak at so, uh, South by Southwest and start to ask people, hey, how did you speak at South by Southwest? Because that's another secret, and I'll kind of, I'll, I'll end this episode on this. The thing about becoming, you know, in the speaker industry, for me, almost all of my speaking gigs come from a relationship with people. Not what they found me on a website. Yes, they might search my name, but more often than not, it's someone in my community that goes to bat for me, 
someone that listens to my podcast goes to their boss and says, we have to have this person at the event. Or someone that was sitting in one of my presentations and goes home, goes back to their office and puts my YouTube video on, on the projector screen in their team meeting and is like, wow, this guy has so much value. It's amazing the power of relationships between fellow speakers, between event organizers, between sponsors. And so I, I want to leave you with this. I think understanding the speaking life and understanding where things are going, how they're going, it, it's, it's a lot of work and there's no easy button. And I can tell you, I was blessed to have a ton of inbound speaking where people were asking me to speak. Over the last six months, I've had to be more aggressive on my outbound, you know, applying to speaking and reaching out and asking brands. And that's been hard for me. That's been something I've struggled with. But it's because I, I've learned that I didn't do some things along the way that I shared with you guys here on this episode. So I wish all of you amazing luck. And remember that we each have a different journey. We each have a different reason for becoming a speaker. The value you provide as a speaker will be different. But I think we have to kind of own that and start to understand projected value, start to understand the relationship and what you want to get out of something. And you know, for me, I never want to be the person that speaks about something that I can't actually do myself or I'm not doing in my day-to-day -day life. But I also want to be someone that I love speaking. If I, if I could look out and say five years from now, I could host an event like, like Tony Robbins hosts where he does 12 hours in one day on one stage, I would do that in a heartbeat because I get my energy from the audience. I love being on stage. I've been blessed that I never get nervous before a speaking gig. I really do love what, I, what I'm doing. And that's my goal. That's where I set my sights on. And I think each speaker, each event, each person has to look at that, that differently. And I see some of my good friends. I see uh, Greg Walker has jumped in here. Oh, I see uh, uh, Chris Schiffler. What's up, Chris? And Tim. Carlos Gill is uh, in here as well. Jeff Adams. I see my good buddy Joey Coleman is here watching. Joey's one of my favorite keynote speakers uh, in all the land. He, he was the closing keynote speaker at uh, Social Media Marketing World this year and um, truly is, is the, one of the guys that I look at as, uh, as doing it the right way and just being an amazing um, facilitator of content as well as inspiration. But uh, I, I, I truly hope this, this episode you know, adds value to what you're doing uh, so that you understand this industry, understand my journey, understand what you can do to kind of get across your, on your journey. And uh, feel free to leave me questions on the live broadcast. Tweet at me at iSocialFans, things that you have. Um, I'm going to probably do a follow-up to this episode um, with answering some of your questions about the speaking industry because it's one of the things that a lot of people ask me is I, I have a list of about 13 things that people want me to answer, and I wanted to set the stage first by sharing this part, and then I'm going to go back and do a separate episode and answer some of those questions. So thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, this episode is sponsored by Nine Spokes. If you go to FOMOFans.live or ninespokes.fomofans.live sign up hit the join free and sign up for their uh, small business dashboard giving you all your data in one location I truly am thankful for their partnership and them sponsoring FOMO fans so that I can bring you this show every single week on every single player across all of the different podcasting apps as well as broadcasting live here on Facebook Live Periscope and YouTube for Brian Fanzo for episode 39 that is a wrap. I will be back in a second for my five-minute clip exclusive for you guys only on the podcast. I'm going to give you a little bit of a rant about what I believe must change in the event professional space to truly get a diversity of speakers, start getting more younger people on stage, more females, more uh, different ethnicities, and ultimately bring some of these events to new arenas and new places. Stay tuned for that if you're listening on the live stream. You have to download the podcast. I'm evoking a little bit of that FOMO. Cheers, my friends. Have a great day. All right, that was fun. I uh, get a little, get a little ranty a little bit. I hopefully I wasn't all ranty, but you know, I wanted to address you know one of the concerns that I have, not only as a dad of three girls, but as someone that you know loves and believes in the power of really not only connecting great people with great people to do great things, but also this kind of identity of how do we not only discover new talent, but how do we empower new talent, new voices? Because with so much new change, if only the same people are leading us, 
no wonder we're not able to change anything if we're listening to the same old, same old. And this is a funny space for me because if we don't change our requirements for what we consider or desire or need for someone to be on stage as a speaker, or if we don't change how we're looking for new speakers or even where we're looking for new speakers, no wonder things aren't changing. And you know, some of these requirements are, are out of date and ridiculous. Some of them make 100% sense if you're trying to get somebody that understands things that were exactly happening you know, five or 10 years ago. But I also look at so much as, you know, it's not about how do we get more ethnicities or more women on panels and more you know, females or diversity on keynote stages. It's actually, the question should be asked, how do we start creating and identifying what really matters for our attendees and our events and finding those people, right? There's, you know, the reason I talked about the book in the, in the earlier part of the show is because, you know, people came up to me and said, Brian, we would be able to pay you over two times as much as you get paid today if you had a book. Or one of my worst things was two years ago, someone came up to me and said, Brian, we could double the amount we pay you if you had 100,000 followers on Twitter instead of 40,000 followers. At that time, I replied back and said, well, you realize I could buy for fake followers for about $4,000 and make another $4,000 on top of that. But the fact that that is your criteria and that's how you measure how much worth someone is is ridiculous. And I don't even want to work at that event. But what I'm, I guess I'm talking about, and I, and I wrote a blog post um, April of 2015, and I said, you know, well, the real, you know, it's the whole idea of I think the speaker industry as a whole needs a change. But I think it's really just... It's, it comes to us as the attendees, the consumers, and the event professionals that are out there that are bringing speakers on and, and hiring speakers and where they're looking for speakers. Let's face it, you know, the, the other idea of I need, a give, I, need, I need to have someone who's written a book because I need to be able to give something tangible to my CEO, you know, that's the old way, right? If I, maybe you want someone who's written a book because then you understand that someone's you know has conveyed authority and they've spent enough time as it takes to write a book to actually be someone that's on stage but let's face it in this world of self-publishing if i really wanted to create a book and i didn't care how great that book was i could have self-published a book a year and a half ago two years ago in one month and checked off that box but i couldn't have lived with myself for that but i think we need to start looking at things like you know if if our goal is to um, grow this event uh, twice as large in three years, do we need to have big name speakers today or do we want to have maybe smaller name speakers that will be a part of our community for years to come and grow with us? Therefore, us investing in them today will help us achieve our goal. And I think you, we, for the longest time, we've kind of had it both ways where an event wants the, to sell, who, what speakers can we bring in to sell tickets today? But I think that's the short-term, closed-minded look. I think if you want to be you know, innovative, if you want to uh, attack other goals, if your goal is to, to uh, grow a community associated with that, or I want, I want my, my event to be looked at as, you know, our company is so innovative that we're growing this event year over year. Well, how is the word innovative determined by your audience? Well, more likely than not, it's having a breadth of people that are doing things differently, not having a breadth of people that have all written a book or breadth of people that have all been speakers for five or 10 years. You know, and I wrote a blog post, you know, uh, recently saying, you know, here's eight female millennial speakers that everyone should see on stage. And, you know, my goal on that, that was to really highlight some good friends of mine and people that I've seen on stage that I've been disappointed that haven't got recognized like they should. But I also always put the onus on the speakers themselves, right? If, if we know that, that these are the criteria, if you need a book or you need to speak on these three stages or you have to apply by a certain date, the onus still goes on us. And I don't think we should think about, you know, it's kind of like the Rooney role um, for the NHL. The idea should be we need to make sure that we're looking at the right places, we're evaluating all of the options, and we're, we're picking the people that are going to help us get to our goal. 
But that doesn't mean that it has to be a certain amount of people, a certain amount of women, a certain amount of, you know, um, a certain uh, diversity on stage. But what it does mean is that we need to do the due diligence and make sure that we look at all of the possible options and maybe even reevaluate what we consider our ideal speaker to be. And I know for me, I've recently got passed on opportunities because they say, Brian, you know, there is an element of you are a younger white male speaker, and that is something that we have a plethora of. And I understand that, and I take no offense to that. But I also believe that if you've heard me speak or you understand what value I provide, then if that's something that you need and want, you will hire me. And it's not because you don't have enough people that look like me, but you know that the total value of partnering with me and bringing me on as a speaker will be there and, and provided as a whole. And so, you know, I think that's everyone that's out there. I think it's our job. When you're at an event and you see an amazing speaker, I don't care what color they are, what race they are, what background they are, what, what sexual orientation they are, we need to highlight and amplify the great speakers as, as audience members, and then us that are spending our hard-earned money, make it known that it wasn't just because Seth Godin was on stage that we went to this event. We went to this event because five people that look like us, that understand our pain points, that can relate with us, were speaking on the side stage. And yes, it was great that we could tell our friends we could see Seth Godin, but at the same time, the true reason that we, were, we went so hard to buy these tickets and spend our money was because these five people were there. Because unless event organizers are here, Hearing that, unless speakers are presenting that information to those event organizers, we will never see change. There will always be the same old people. And honestly, it's not it's not someone else's fault. It's on us. And so I challenge everyone that's listening, everyone that wants to be a speaker, everyone that wants to go to events, everyone that attends events where they're inspired. Let's highlight, let's amplify, let's share, let's t tell the world, tell the event professionals, tell the sponsors, tell the CEOs that it's not because this person wrote a book, it's not because this person didn't write a book, but it's because of these reasons that this person was valuable to me and I would spend my money again to see them. Hopefully you guys enjoy this show, hopefully I've helped you uh, take the next step in your journey or maybe the next step in finding the ideal speaker. As I said, I will do a part two of this episode um, in the very near future. So if you have a question or comment, feel free to uh, message me at iSocialFans on any of the social channels or if you uh, prefer to do email, it's fanzo, F-A-N-Z-O, at iSocialFans.com. That's iSocialFans with a Z or a Z, just like my last name has the Z uh, in it as well. And make sure you check out uh, my sponsors, the sponsor for this five-minute rant segment, which is Iographer. Iographer is the company and brand that I use for all of my live streaming uh, cases. It allows me to connect my microphone, allows me to connect my different lenses to my tripod so that I can provide the most professional style live streaming uh, experience all via my mobile device. I just clip my iPhone in and off I go. And that's Iographer. Check out iographer.com and I even get a discount code. Check out, check out the show notes here on this episode. You'll see the discount code and what things you can get a discount on thanks to my friends over at Iographer. And the podcast as a whole is sponsored by Nine Spokes. Check out ninespokes.fomofans.live. My friends, I love being a speaker. I said it before. It's my most zen place that I've ever been where I'm at, and I, I couldn't love this industry any more than I do, but it doesn't mean I don't think that it needs change. It doesn't mean that I need to be better at what I do, and I hope you felt that passion from me, and I hope together we can all do our own individual part, and we will ultimately provide better experiences, create better events, and highlight all of the amazing speakers today tomorrow, and maybe even my daughters in the future. For Brian Fanzo, iSocial Fans, episode 39 is over.